Chapter Twenty Six of Prodigal Daughters by Joseph Hawking. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Six Jim's Appeal for Help. What do you want? repeated the general when Barnes did not reply. Why have you come here? It's about Peg. Yes. What about Peggy? Well, sir, we're in a bit of a hole. The general looked at Barnes, and a feeling of disgust came over him. He had just left a scene of happiness. He had that night welcomed a prospective daughter-in-law, to whom his heart had gone out at first sight. She was a lady, too, refined and cultured, and he had been very proud and happy. Now, as he looked at Barnes, showy, but common to the fingertips, he felt a kind of nausea. The thought that his daughter could have picked up and married a fellow like this almost maddened him, for the general was a proud man, proud of his name, proud of his associations, proud of an unsullied reputation. He had all the instincts of an English gentleman, and thus to have a fellow like this coming to his house and telling him that his daughter Peggy was in trouble almost overwhelmed him. Still, he kept himself outwardly calm. "'What have I to do with it?' he asked. "'I need not to repeat to you the history of the whole miserable affair, or how I forbade you to seek my daughter's company in any way.' you took your own line you defied me and now i fail to see what it has to do with me she is your daughter still general and she loves you still said barnes he had rehearsed what he hoped would be the course of the interview and he determined to make a strong point of this he felt certain that in spite of the general's anger his love for Peggy was as strong as ever, so he adopted this line of attack, and from his standpoint he was right. There was no more vulnerable point in the general's armor than this, and Barnes saw it. "'Of course I know we were wrong,' he went on. "'But we could not help it. I loved Peg, and Peg loved me. Of course she was a bit willful and liked her own way.' but at bottom she's terribly fond of you, General. In spite of the fact that the General knew the fellow was telling lies, his words affected him. So much did he yearn for the love of his child, that the words, spoken even as they were by Barnes, brought tears to his eyes. We were as happy as turtle-tubs, went on Barnes, seeing the impression he had made, and we should have got on well but for this money business. You know how dear things are, General, and I'd be the last man in the world to say anything against Peg, but she's not very economical, you know, sir, and she don't know how to manage very well. She wasn't brought up that way. However, I'm not going to blame Peg. I love her too much, but there it is. We're up against it. Trelawney felt sure that the fellow was playing a part, and even although his love went out to his child, he could not help hardening his heart. He felt cynical, too, and more than a little bitter. Still, again, I inquire, what have I to do with it? 
"'Perhaps you don't think what a bitter pill this is to me,' said Barnes, ignoring the general's question, "'especially after the way you treated me, and what you said to me when we met last. Of course it was a mistake, and nobody feels it more than my own people.' they have reproached me again and again for giving up another girl for peg nice girl she was too had a paying little millinery business of her own and doing well why if i'd married agnes parks i'd need not to have done a stroke of work but there it's no use talking about that i was in love and married peggy the general made a motion of disgust yes and came to me with the proposal that if I would recognize you, you would, would, but I dare not speak of it. Oh, no, sir, broke in Barnes. I can understand that, too. But why did I do it? It was for Peg's sake. I know I tried to deceive you by telling you that we weren't married, but I thought that it was my only way to get your recognition. But it wasn't for myself it was for peg you don't believe me because you don't understand me but here was our position we loved each other and because you put the kibosh on everything we had to get married without your consent and i in order to get your recognition told you what was not true i admit it was a mistake sir but i did the honourable thing however it's no use talking about that we're in queer street sir say peg has been a bit extravagant if you like i'm not the one to throw up that against her but i don't know how we're going to live i thought i should have got an increase of pay but times have got bad and i haven't and now we can't pay our way we owe three weeks rent and peg's nearly starving starving ejaculated the general well we don't know where the next week's food is to come from and-and there you are here's a letter i got to-day telling me that if i don't pay up the rent at once i shall be kicked out and here are these bills i'm not come for myself i could manage all right but it's peg she's breaking her heart some might say she's a bit unreasonable i've offered to take her home to camden town and live with my mother and sisters but she won't she's too proud to associate with them if she would do that we might rub along but if nothing is done for us we will be on the streets there was so much truth in this statement that barnes was able to speak almost convincingly what do you owe asked the general how much is it three weeks rent at two pounds five a week that's six pounds fifteen shillings and there's these other bills that come to eight pounds four shillings that's nearly fifteen pounds i would not come for myself it's peg i'm troubling about you should have thought of it before you did this mad dishonourable thing i know i should and i'm downright sorry but what's done is done besides it's harder to live than i thought prices are going up like mad and peg's nearly out of her head but why have you come to me the general could not help saying come to you sir 
cried barnes with a show of righteous indignation because i didn't think you were made of stone what i said to peg to-night was that if you'd allow us say two pound a week we don't ask much you see we might rub along the general did not reply the whole affair was so sordid so piteous that he could not never did he despise the fellow as he despised him now he saw through the mask he was wearing understood the tones of his voice and loathed his presence but he could not close his heart against his child he could not bear to think of her being in want he realized the kind of furnished rooms which could be had for two pounds a week and felt what peggy must be suffering by living in them he knew that Barnes had moved from the place where their last interview took place, and had been informed of the part of the city where they now lived, a common, unsavory, and squalid quarter. "'Come now, General,' and Barnes, as he thought he saw the other relenting, spoke eagerly, "'Can't you, for Peg's sake, let bygones be bygones? "'Why can't we live happy together? "'What's the use of keeping up this bitterness? "'Whatever you may say, I'm your son-in-law. "'Why can't you do the Christian thing and own it? "'Why can't we be friendly like? "'I'll not disgrace you. "'I was an officer in the army, just as you are, "'and I could pass muster with any of your fine friends, "'and I ask you straight.' can you a professedly christian man shut your daughter and the man she has chosen out of your heart and home i mean to get on and when things have settled down a bit i'll make my way peg shall have her motor-car and her fine dresses with the best of em but just now we're under water and peg's heart is breaking what we want is just a little help in money and a little love and sympathy i'm willing to forgive all the hard things you've said to me and it seems to me that it's your duty to forgive anything which i have said in a temper and i'll admit i've got my pride same as you have that might hurt you now then general here's my hand on it barnes imagined this was a very moving speech he had thought it out while walking from the subway station to the trelawney home and he expected a great deal from it the general had been brought up in an old-fashioned school and had always maintained the sacredness of marriage ties he loathed the thought of easy divorces and had always held that people once married took each other until death parted them if that were so his child's husband had become in a very sacred way his son and in spite of the loathing he felt for barnes the fact struck home now perhaps this revealed itself in his features for barnes who had been watching him closely went on eagerly yes i can see you hate me he said but hatred is not a christian thing general to err is human but to forgive is divine and what i ask is can't you forgive us again the keen eyes of the older man pierced the mask of the other but still he hesitated i must think about it he said half unconsciously at that moment there was a knock at the door may i come in dad 
and Treb entered the room. Dick Davenport said he must be going, sir, and I thought you might like to speak to him before he went. This was perfectly true, but it was not the only reason why Trev interrupted them. He had an idea that his father had a visitor whom he wanted to get rid of, and as they wanted the general back with them badly, he thought he might help him by going to him. Besides, the five minutes which the servant mentioned were far more than up. "'I'm sorry, Trev, but I can't speak to Davenport just now. Will you tell him that I'm engaged, and ask him to come again soon? And will you come back here for a minute?' Trev gave a quick searching glance at his father's face, and then looked towards Barnes. He had a suspicion that something was wrong. "'Certainly, Dad.' He left the room as he spoke, but returned a minute later. "'This,' said the general, "'is the man I told you about.' "'What, the fellow who—who—' "'Yes,' said the general. The young officer looked at Barnes intently and quickly summed him up. "'Lieutenant Trelawney, I believe,' said Barnes. "'Glad to see you. Yes, in a way we're relations.' and he giggled nervously as he held out his hand, but Trev did not take it. Instead, he looked at his father as if for further information. "'It's the old story,' said the general, a little bitterly, and then in a few words he described the purport of Barnes's visit. "'And he wants you to receive him here as your son-in-law.' And every tone of his voice was a sting, a sting which even Barnes felt. "'Yes, and I am his son-in-law, too, and your brother-in-law. You can't get over that,' blustered Barnes, whose temper was rising. "'I suppose you don't want to see your sister going out chairing, do you?' "'Father, shall I kick him out of the house?' asked Trev. "'I will, if you'll let me.' "'Come, none of that!' cried Barnes. Two can play at that game. Wait a minute, said the general. There's Peg to consider. I must think, and I must consult your mother. But, Dad, you couldn't let that bounder come here. Think of Mary. Yes, I am thinking of her, my boy, and I'm thinking of Peg, too. He walked to the door as he spoke and opened it. "'There, you can go now,' he said, looking at Barnes. "'Do you mean to say you'll do nothing, then? "'Why, it's downright cruel and unchristian. "'That's not your affair. "'Look here, I've come to you straight, "'and I've eaten humble pie because of your daughter, "'but if anything happens to her, don't you blame me, that's all. "'This way, please.' and Barnes, noting the look in the general's eyes, left the room and walked towards the front door, followed by Trev. When he had reached the drive, he found Trev by his side. "'Now, Mr. Barnes, remember,' and there was an intensity in the young fellow's voice, "'I know all about you. My brother told me. Yes, I've heard of that affair at the Cosmopolitan Hotel.' You lied then. I expect you have been lying tonight. But I shall make it my business to find out the truth, and if anything is wrong, I'll not let you off as easily as my brother did. Remember that. Now get out. 
barnes walked some distance in a black rage yet fearful all the same he could not understand these people they seemed to possess a power which took all the fight out of him his blustering was all in vain his pleading useless he made an exclamation in two words which was to the effect that he had given up all hope of salvation but i must be careful he reflected presently after all he may do something and i must not put peg's back up until all hope is gone when the general returned to the drawing-room he found that davenport had gone and thus only his own family and the penrins were there for a little time he seemed distrait as though he had something upon his mind which he did not know how to express then a flash of resolution came into his eyes i have something to say to you he said slowly something that is painful very painful then don't say it my friend replied mr penryn but i must said the general it affects you in a way you became a member of my family from to-night and because your girl and my boy are engaged you have the right to know and it's my duty to tell you not that not that lester cried mrs trelawney piteously for trev had told her who his father's visitor was yes replied the general i must i have always believed in absolute frankness and this is not a matter that i can keep secret up to half an hour ago this has been one of the happiest evenings of my life you remember however that i was called out and it is about that that i want to speak he quickly told the story, gave it in its gaunt, unpleasant outlines. When he had finished, Mr. Penryn held out his hand. "'I'm sorry for you,' he said. "'It's the kind of thing that's happening on all hands these days. It's seen in different ways, in different grades of society. Thank God I know nothing about it myself, as my Mary has never become imbued with these modern notions.' but several of my friends are troubled in the same way. They say little about it, but the thing's there. Thank you, replied the general. I felt I ought to tell you, seeing that the two families are to become united, but it's a bitter pill to swallow, my friend. My God, it must be. Still, it's not so bad as it is with some. After all, your youngest daughter is married, while the other— although it must be terribly painful to you, may see her foolishness and come home. Yes, there's that. But this is the question. What ought I to do? I told Eleanor that my doors were always open to her, that if she comes back and is prepared to accept the life of our home such as it is, she shall receive a daughter's welcome. I have said the same to Peg. But does that mean that I am to accept that fellow— does the Christian law demand that, Penryn? Tell me. No, cried John hotly. No law, human or divine, demands that. Would you let that moth-eaten poisonous worm come here? Think what he did, Mr. Penryn. And, boy-like, he impulsively told of Barnes's proposal at the Cosmopolitan Hotel. 
could we have that thing here why he hasn't the manners of a yard dog nor the morals of a giraffe i agree with john cried trev you could not do it dad you simply couldn't why think of mary having to to and he looked tenderly at the girl who had become engaged to him that night why mary if you saw him a common vulgar bounder you'd understand me mary penryn did not speak there had been a strange look in her eyes while the general had told his story a look of yearning and tenderness and pity and something more she rose from her chair and went to mrs trelawney i'm so sorry she whispered in her ear so very sorry oh what you must have felt and she kissed her affectionately i want to do what's right penryn said the general i would be the last to do anything that would weaken the meaning of marriage but can i ought i to welcome that fellow to my house ought i to admit him here as my son-in-law under any pretext i ask you as a christian man no remarked mr penryn after a long silence ought i to help them went on the general when i last saw peggy she was still unrepentant still defiant her mother wrote to her telling her that our doors were open to her but that we could not receive that man and her reply was that she wanted neither our help nor our recognition and that she proposed to live independently of us she also told her mother that her doors would be shut against us i'm sorry to have to say this penryn on this night of all others but i want to be absolutely open with you and and i want your advice i want to help my child i must help her but in helping her i am helping her husband ought i to do that he's a great strong coarse individual he can make his way well enough that is he can earn enough for his bread and cheese but peg is different she is my child of course said mr penryn you can't help your daughter without at the same time helping barnes too i see that and i must help her i simply can't see my child in want but we can't have that fellow here dad cried trev i-i wouldn't let mary know him one must have some self-respect you know what kind of a fellow is he asked mr penryn the general sketched him perfectly yet justly he made plain to the other the kind of pushing half-educated fellow who thought it a fine thing to be an officer and who had all sorts of puffed-up ideas as to how a gentleman should behave but who in spite of everything revealed the real texture of his character a vulgar fellow who by his showy good looks and fine physique was calculated to capture an impulsive unthinking girl but who had not even a nodding acquaintance with the first principles of honour a snob a bounder and a bully combined who under the veneer of a cheap education tried to pose as a gentleman yes continued the general and then penryn then it's a ghastly problem to me as you may imagine i am as sure as that two and two make four that peggy in spite of her stubbornness and wilfulness and rebelliousness in spite of the fact that she has cared for this man in a way will sooner or later 
understand the kind of fellow he is and detest him she will feel that his very touch is an insult what then does a ceremony in a registry office or in a church for that matter make them man and wife i know i have very strict views about marriage but this business has made me think furiously isn't marriage dead when all respect all honour all love are gone but there we'll think no more about it now i'm dreadfully grieved penryn that this should have happened my dear fellow replied the squire a thing like that might happen to anybody and is in fact happening to thousands to-day and the secret of the whole trouble is the lack of the religious instinct that is the secret of all our present-day troubles cried mrs trelawney oh i did hope during the war that we as a nation were being purified it was all so fine at first people of every class were being uplifted they were doing great things millions of young fellows were offering their lives as a sacrifice young girls brought up in refined homes were gladly undertaking the meanest and the most painful duties that they might render help and we were all saying that we were fighting for a great peace and now that peace has come there is no peace the turmoil and the strife and the selfishness seem to be worse than ever nothing is settled everything is in a state of unrest and we seem to be drifting drifting we know not where no doubt you are right alice said the general but we mustn't sadden these young people trev you dog you ought to be a happy fellow i am cried trev i'm the happiest chap in the world and you mary you are not very miserable are you thank god for you my dear said the general as he kissed mary good-night i'm happy in spite of everything penryn i feel as though mary has brought a new interest a new hope a new joy to life god bless you my dear fellow alice we must go and see peg first thing to-morrow morning said the general to his wife when their visitors were gone and they found themselves alone End of chapter twenty six